listeners, and welcome to this episode of Renoites. I'm Connor McQuibby, and this is the show where I talk to all sorts of people from Reno who are doing interesting and important things. I grew up here, and I have a lot of memories of the Shopper Square Mall and its gradual decline over the years, as well as the vacant lot where Park Lane Mall once stood. But things have changed a lot in recent years, and the southern end of Midtown is seeing a lot of new development. First with the Reno Experience District, a lot of housing there, and coming soon, the Reno Public Market in the former Shopper Square building. The market will be a food hall, artist creation and performance space, and a local retail market for independent makers, among other things. Today's guest on the show is Nettie Oliverio, one of the people behind that project, and focused on the arts and culture elements. Nettie previously served on Reno's Arts and Culture Commission and is the outgoing president of the board of the Pioneer Theater. On this episode, Nettie and I talk about the development of the Reno public market, the importance of arts and culture in retail spaces, the goal of creating spontaneous or surprising connections, the food hall and food truck culture here in Reno, the growth of local theater in Northern Nevada, and much more. I've recently been partnering with Black Rabbit Mead to create some episodes of Renoites recorded in front of a live audience. I'm super excited that this month I'll be recording an interview with Ian Watson and Elisa Garcia from the Spoken Views Poetry Collective. Their spooky-themed poetry slam and costume party is going to be on Wednesday, October 26th at Black Rabbit with the podcast recording at 7 and the slam beginning at 730 it's free to attend, so I hope you come check it out and support Renoites and Spoken Views. Again, that's Wednesday, October 26th at 7 o'clock at Black Rabbit Mead. Another way you can support the show is to sign up on Patreon. I've been talking a lot about Patreon lately. My hope is to make the show financially sustainable through contributions from folks in our community. You can learn more about that, including some cool patron perks at patreon.com slash Renoites. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Renoites. And as always, my email address is Connor at Renoites dot com, C-O-N-O-R at Renoites dot com. If you have any guest suggestions or feedback, and you can always reach me as well on Instagram at Renoites. And now this week's guest, Nettie Oliverio. Nettie Oliverio. Welcome to Renoites. <laughs> Thank you, Connor. It's an honor to be here, I can tell you. I am really excited. So the reason that I reached out to you to be on the show is I know you're doing the Reno Public Market, which is this big food hall event space, all kinds of things at where the Shopper Square was. But then we met the other day, and you're also on the Arts and Culture Commission, and you uh, are on the board of the Pioneer Center. So this has kind of expanded to like, oh, Nettie is doing so much in Reno. There's way more to talk about than just the public market. But that'll be like the focus of this episode. But I want to talk about other stuff, too. Um, so to start, I won't make you give me like a full on resume, but you, you've lived in Reno for a lot of your life. Yeah, 47 years. Yeah. So tell me about uh, how you ended up in Reno. And then also when and how you kind of got involved in being what I would call a like a highly participatory citizen like you're very involved in reno so what was that process of like you know being in reno earlier and then deciding to you know get really engaged and do things with the city well so i came to reno from kansas i was in school there i didn't grow up there but i just was a, a student there and um my aim was for san francisco and i missed that's my story <laughs> and i'm sticking to it 
But when I came here, there was a lot of just casino-centric action. And I looked around at that, and I wasn't really sure that this was going to be my place. But then with my husband, I got to meet all kinds of, of Renoites. He had been here a long time. And when I got to meet the real people of Reno, I said, boy, this is where I'm staying because this is cool. And I have always been in the arts. I was a theater minor. I was a dancer. And even though I was in chemistry and in IT as a profession, I always did arts as um, on, at a volunteer basis. And so pretty much all the time I've been in Reno, I've been dabbling in the arts. Mm-hmm. And it's true, I was on the Arts and Culture Commission for City of Reno, actually for 10 years, but I'm no longer. I co-chair with Stephanie from Nevada Humanities, the Reno Arts Consortium, which is a regional group. And yes, I'm on the Pioneer Board. I'm president of the board until the end of this year. And then poof, ah, <laughs> I term out. Then you have to find a, a new thing to get I do. In. I'm already looking at that. <laughs> I, I have my next, my next challenge ahead of me. I'm excited to do that. Awesome. So let's talk a little bit about the public market. That's yeah. opening relatively soon. This episode, I think, will be out sometime mm-hmm. in like early, mid-October. Yeah. I haven't exactly figured out the date yet. And I know that the market's opening sort of around that time or shortly after. So can you tell me a little bit about what is the Reno Public Market? This is used to be Shopper Square Mall. It did. It's had this big renovation. So yeah. uh, what's it going to look like? So we consider this to be a place of accidental discovery. It's a former mall, and malls kind of have fallen out of favor. And it's more now a collection of businesses that have a central interesting point of a food hall. Food hall is brand new for Reno. We've not actually done anything quite like that before. So 18 vendors inside, all kinds of food, beverage, desserts, cool stuff. And a live human stage, a place for our community to talk about itself and perform and and discover the arts, discover culture, discover all kinds of interesting aspects of our community. We have an 8,000-square-foot art collective, uh, Maker's Paradise is the name of it, and it's a place for artists to work in spaces and then hold classes, classrooms, and meetings, and a gallery, because we never have enough gallery space for Mm. our artists to be able to show and sell. And to have artists, working artists, and their product in a space that's highly trafficked, where people come in for something else Mm -hmm. and then discover, hey, wait, there are artists here. Oh my gosh, I needed to get that present for Aunt Millie. And look, there's exactly what she would want. And so we're just hoping that they all synergize and everybody benefits from having all of the aspects of the food hall and the adjacent shops that bring people in. That's awesome. Yeah, I think having the um, having the art as part of that makes it kind of different than other, yeah. a lot of other food hall type environments yeah. that I've seen. Uh, I know I used to live in the Bay Area, and there was I think I haven't seen the Reno Public Market as it's going to be yet because it's not there yet. Well, but, you're invited, right? I, I, can't, I can't wait to see. But <laughs> yeah. I know there's there was I uh, went to a 
what I assume is kind of a similar model in Oakland. There's this like food hall that's a bunch of different food vendors yeah. all in one space. And it's like a communal eating area. I guess like a micro version of this might be the West Street Market yep. uh, here in Reno. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. What, what were kind of some of the, the inspirations or the other places that you've seen with the food halls that you ha- are trying to bring to Reno? So kind of where, where did this idea come from and where have you seen it work? How's that influenced the build out of what you're doing here? Well, before I was ever involved in this, I uh, went and just wandered into food halls in New York and just loved that, you know, just wandering around finding all of these cool different kinds of food and then just grabbing a piece here and there and going sitting down and eating and then looking at what everybody else had and going, ah, I love that. Where'd you get that? And they go, oh, over there at that vendor. And oh, I got to have that too. Pretty soon you have to walk around the block several times so you can come (laughs) back and eat again. But um, one of my very favorite food halls is in L.A. It's Grand Central Market in downtown L.A. And it's just this hodgepodge, this cacophony of all of these different lights and sounds and smells. And it's old. The, the building is old. And it has uneven floors. And there's no consistency to what anything looks like. And everybody's got a different size stall, their their signage is different, this, and how they lay it out is different. And the seating there is just all over the place. It's different, different seats, different tables. So it's just, you know, you're just there wandering in this world of different producers of food and different opportunities to discover stuff. I just love it. And some people really like the more consistent style where there's like a theme to the food hall or they're, you know, similar colors or everybody's kind of designed the same way. And that's good for them. But what's good for me is that just outrageous cacophony. I love it. <laughs> yeah. What is, uh, so what's Reno Public Market? Because I know I've seen examples of both of what you're talking about, mm-hmm. kind of the, the mishmash of a little bit of everything. Yeah. And then recently I was in New Orleans earlier this year and I went to a kind of food stall place. It used to be a, I think a rail station. Yeah. And they had a bunch of different food vendors, but it was so uniform as far mm-hmm. as the, all of the signage. So there were different food vendors, but they had the exact same look and feel. The only thing that was different was the menus and the food. So where is Reno Public Market going to kind of fall on that spectrum of super duper, a little bit of everything to super structured? So I would say that we are more or less halfway in there, um, a little leaning toward the mishmash. We, you know, it's a brand new construction there. A lot of Reno Public Market is adaptive reuse using old buildings and bringing life to them. But we tore out the center area there. Um, for folks who remember the Shopper Square architecture, this is the central area where you go in where there was the spiral staircase mm-hmm. and, and big kind of big mall area. So we just ripped that sucker out. So this is all new construction of steel and glass, and it just, it has an industrial feel, but because it's new, it also has a consistency to it. Mm-hmm. We went ahead and chose yellow as our sort of accent color in there, and as soon as the guys painted it, then um, a couple of vendors came in and said, oh, well, no, we can't be in here. We can't use yellow because that's not our color. We don't do that. And I'm saying, hey. 
paint it. <laughs> you guys, you know how to paint. Paint your color the way you want it to be. We just we want everybody um, that is a vendor in there to be able to make their space look the way they want it to, that it represents who they are, what they produce, how they want to be represented in the world. Mm-hmm. How did you come to work on this project? So... <laughs> Um, my good friend is Rick Casaza and his wife, his family. I was at his house for a Christmas Eve party in 2018. And I said, Hey, Rick, I've heard you talking about what you're doing at Shopper Square and that you're going to revive it. And I said, that sounds so fun. If I can ever help you with anything, holler at me. Okay. And he said, yeah, okay. And he walks on off. And about a month later, he calls and he says, Hey, you raised your hand. Are you serious? And I said, yeah, what you got? Now, I was in IT, and so I was thinking that this would be an IT gig. And so he said, okay, come to my office. I got some people for you to meet. And I said, okay. So as I arrive, I meet the developer that Rick has known for quite some time and has enlisted to come over and take a look at Shopper Square, went away, created this incredible design in his head, Doug Wheely from Foothill Partners, and he and I get to talking, and Rick, Rick and he and I um, chat about my capacity to help with the arts, arts and culture portion, because they're looking at each other going, I don't know arts and culture, mm. do you? But we want arts and culture in the project. So it turns out that Doug had previously had artists in a development that he did where he inherited them and he couldn't get rid of them. Not that he really wanted to, but, you know, now that you got them, what are you going to do with them? (laughs) And he was amazed at the difference it made in the project. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, he wanted to do that same thing for Reno Public Market. So his plan was to have about 22% of the footprint of the Reno Public Market be arts and culture. So I warned him and my other partners that because they just took me into the company. I'm now a partner with Foothill Partners as a developer. I never thought I'd be doing that. But um, I told him that arts is like floodwaters, that if you don't put up impermeable barriers, we just go everywhere. So (laughs) we're like 35% of the project now. And, you know, and I'm wanting to claim more space here. (laughs) But with having the, the stage there to have locals come and perform, we, we might allow visitors to come too. We don't know. Yeah. <laughs> we have PBS Reno streaming in and streaming out. So we have a big screen, 16 by 9, that will host their in streams of cartoons for kids on Saturday morning and their concerts that they have. And then they will stream out from the stage some of the performances and some of the panel discussions that are going on there. And they have a little podcast booth. Well, actually, not so little now that's sitting up on the mezzanine. And we're just, we're so thrilled to have them having live entertainment, having a place for locals to come, having the artists, having PBS Reno in there. Mm -hmm. Maker's Paradise, as our art collective, is right next to Wild Market, which is Wandering Wild, our local group. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jesse Phillips and Rachel McIntyre, and they've been doing pop-ups around in our community for about five years Mm -hmm. now with different makers. They represent over 350 makers from northern Nevada and northern California. And so it's an opportunity then for 
the maker's products to be in a brick and mortar store and the makers don't have to be there. They don't have to represent it. Mm, okay. They're actually salespeople to sell those products. So makers can be doing what they do best and that is to make. <laughs> and, right. And the sellers can be then representing the products that they produce. So they're all they're all collected right there. You know, it's it's the opportunity to come in for a hamburger and then do some shopping mm -hmm. and and find all these cool things that you normally would have to go bustling around the city to find. They're all there for you in one place, including yeah. toothpaste. <laughs> right. Oh yeah, I mean, I think that uh, it makes sense to have kind of everything all in one place, but a, a variety of things, right? Yeah. So the, is that part of the idea is that you aren't necessarily there to buy one specific thing? It's like browsing around and, and mm -hmm. being surprised? Yeah, yeah. Accidental discovery. Mm. That's what it's all about. And accidental discovery of people as well. Because, mm. you know, in, as, as you alluded to earlier, it's communal seating. Mm-hmm. And so you could come in and get um, a glass of wine or, you know, a hamburger or something really outlandishly wonderful and sit down at a table with somebody else that you've not met before and conversations ensue. And, you know, we tend to get a little polarized in our society today. We have the capacity to listen only to the news we want to listen to and not be influenced by other things coming our way. And we can, if we choose, we can hang only with the people who are like us and not with people who are not like us. And I think it is beneficial for us to just kind of wander into each other occasionally. Mm -hmm. And again, accidental discovery, we discover somebody that, huh, they're not like me, but they are like me, kind of, but they and they have different thoughts, and I kind of like that. Yeah, and I mean, I think that idea of creating spaces where people can naturally run into each other or be surprised, or there's like different uses at different times of the mm -hmm. day. This is uh, like, I'm not an urban planner, but that's like one of the fundamental things I know about building cities, building spaces, building neighborhoods, is that you have to have a variety of people. If it's just one type of person, just one part of the day, that's where you get spaces that are dead the other part of yeah. the day, or they're missing something. Yeah. So it's interesting to hear this as kind of a very similar concept to what I think mm -hmm. of when I think of building a city. Uh, obviously, this is not a city that you're building, but it seems to be like a microcosm of, mm -hmm. of a lot of different things, all intentionally put in one place to create that kind of uh, varied use throughout the day, right? Yeah. Well, if um, anybody chooses to go and look at our foothillpartners.com website, there's um, a whole section in there about the the Agora, the Greek Agora, and the fact that, you know, back thousands of years ago, people came to one one space, one area of town for just about everything. This was it was close to where they lived. It was um of course the the retail, the goods exchange area, but it was also entertainment. It was the um the place where they practiced their religion. It was the place where they got together and they talked politics. It was but you know it was one stop shopping, literally, mm -hmm. everything in one place. And over time, as our fearless leader, Doug Wheelie, will say, we've done a really good job of separating ourselves. And the shopping malls of the 60s and 70s did an excellent job of that by pulling our shopping out of the center of town. Mm -hmm. And so our goal for our company is to bring commerce and culture together to create community. 
and we really feel that that strengthens everything. It strengthens the the layout of the city that we're in, you know, physically, how how our utilities are if they're more centralized. But it strengthens us as a people, too, because we know each other better. We may not agree with each other. We may not even totally like each other. But if we know each other, it's way better than if we don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, speaking of the location, I think that's also an important part of where the arena public market is. Like, obviously, there are malls, there are shopping, there, mm-hmm. there are things that are more far flung. Yeah. But having this location that's right at Plum in Virginia, it's basically, I would say, the south end of Midtown. The way yeah. I think of Midtown is, you know, it runs from Plum up to California along Virginia. So this is kind of like this big cap at the end of South Midtown. Yeah. Uh, it's right across the street from the Red, which is a mm-hmm. whole bunch of new residential units. So can you just talk a little bit about the location and why that matters and yeah. how it's going to affect the areas around? The growth of Midtown has been spectacular in itself, you know, a real grassroots growth. And you're right that um, we we are at the south end of that. And Midtown previously was kind of thought of as ending probably around Mount Rose Street, and to have us wander on down, and then to have the Red District down there. Red is really interesting. I'm My whole team is friends with Matt Denio, who's kind of running Red right now and running the expansion. And he and I talk regularly about what we can do together, you know, mm-hmm. what our projects can do, because we're very different. But we overlap in a couple of ways, and we just want to enhance all of that area for our locals and for our tourists coming in. When you come in from the airport, it used to be you would be driving, you know, west on Plum and turn up Virginia, and you'd look around that area, and it didn't look so hot. It looked kind of long in the tooth and Mm -hmm. like nobody loved it. And we all know when we go into an an area, a new area in, in the world, and look at it, our first visual impressions really set how we're going to think about that city, that town, that region. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be fun if we're thought of a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I never even occurred to me. I, well, I live on um, kind of the west side of downtown, like Riverside area. Mm-hmm. So I always think of coming into downtown like from the west, from Keystone, from coming yeah, down the, off yeah. the freeway from Virginia. Yeah. And because I, you know, I don't fly into Reno that often. So mm-hmm. I, I don't have the perspective very often of like, oh, what if I was a tourist flying into Reno and headed downtown? Yeah. And you're right, the, the shift between the empty lot of what used to be Park Lane for mm-hmm. 15 years or something. Again, Shopper Square was not exactly exciting. Uh, at this point before the public market. So having this kind of like visual appeal of this is something new, this is something cool, probably is a much better first impression. Um, Let's go back to the arts and culture thing with the Mm -hmm. public market, because I think that's, uh, you know, it's a very important part and it's something that obviously you are very focused on with the background in arts and culture. First of all, what is, I guess, the difference between arts and culture? We say arts and culture all the time. So obviously we know what the arts is. I always think the visual arts, but and culture includes, you know, things like music, which is also the arts. So can you just talk a little bit about your understanding of arts and culture and kind of like what the difference is between those things? If you think about in the world globally, when we see different people in different communities, different countries, different parts of the world, we see how they express who they are through their culture. 
We see their dance. We see the fabrics that they make. We see the food that they make. Food is obviously a really heavy-duty culture. Mm -hmm. We see how they decorate their homes, the architecture that's in their communities. You know, and all of those pieces, as well as the art they produce, the visual art, the performance art, all of those things express who they uniquely are. And we are, we have our own uniqueness to us. Jazz, for instance, is an American unique form. Mm. We, we created that. It's not that we didn't have influences from other places, but, you know, jazz is very uniquely American, which, by the way, is a fantastic resource here in the Truckee Meadows. The University of Nevada, Reno has an amazing jazz faculty. Hmm. And I learned recently from a traveling musician who's well-known in um, global jazz that it's Manhattan School of Music, Juilliard, and us. We are like, uh, we're in the top three in the nation of places that jazz students will go. Oh, that's amazing. I had no idea. That's I'm so going, cool. <laughs> whoa, cool is up. Yeah, so we're, we're having jazz on the stage, oh, awesome. <laughs> just in case you didn't know. But um, it's all of that that helps us to really get footholds in global communities. Just walking into it, sometimes language is a barrier, but the performing arts, the visual arts, the food arts, the textural arts, all of that is something that's immediately available to all of us, no matter where we go. And that culture, it can be fragile as well. When you look at situations going on in the world now where countries want to take on and take over other countries, one of the ways that they take over is that they work to stamp out the culture there, because mm. then you are no longer who you were, you are now us. Mm. It's really important for all of us to recognize cultures and to help to maintain those, because it helps maintain who we are as people. Yeah. What do you think the culture or cultural identity of Reno, Nevada is. How would you describe Reno's culture to someone who has no concept of Reno? So we're shifting, but um, one of well, one of the panel discussions that I have coming up at Reno Public Market talks about our history with music and dance that was generated from the people who had quote unquote day jobs in the casinos, and for people who are new to the area. They don't know how big a footprint the casinos used to have in our community. But there were so many people who, so many musicians who were employed here and dancers who were employed and singers, singers too, of course. And it was actually the musicians employed in the casinos that started the Reno Philharmonic and the Chamber Orchestra. And we no longer have our um, single performance of the Reno Phil on a Tuesday night. But when I first lived here and for many years after, it was Tuesday night. My mom, I remember coming and I said, would you like to go to the Phil? And she says, well, I won't be here for the weekend. I said, it's Tuesday. She goes, who performs on Tuesday? Well, it's the musicians who have a dark night. And so that's when yeah. they can perform. And the quality of what was created by those people starting out and, and then the organizational structure of that. That has continued. You know, the, the Philharmonic is well over 50 years old now. It's just, it's an amazing thing for us. We are the biggest little city. We're, we were certainly a tiny city then, but we had way big city arts and culture as a result of that. I think as downtown kind of lost its shimmer to it, 
we also lost our center of arts and culture, and uh, it it didn't find its way out. It didn't roll out into a greater suburbia because mm. there really wasn't the support for that. So mm. we had to reclaim it. And the Arts and Culture Commission, almost 30 years ago now, created Art Town. Mm-hmm. And Art Town was really synergistic in bringing arts and culture back into the center of downtown, which then started to bring some of the commerce back as well. Uh, Chuck Shapiro at Wild River Grill will always say, I started my restaurant there because I knew with arts, arts and culture coming, it was going to be great. I was going to have foot traffic. It was going to be strong. Pioneer Center across the way. You know, it's the essence, it's ground zero of our arts and culture in our community. And it's that sustenance that happened that now is allowing this burst of energy. We are getting so many artists from the Bay Area who are coming, bringing what they have, but also amalgamating with what we have. And it's, you know, it's everybody benefits from that. It's like Sicily when they had all these conquering people coming, but it made them stronger and better and more diverse. Mm-hmm. And we're doing the same thing. And I'm I'm really proud for our young people growing up here too. That it was thought in the like 70s, 80s, and 90s, if you wanted to do anything in the arts, you got to leave. You got to go someplace else because it ain't going to happen here. Well, guess what? It's happening here. Mm. Yeah, no, that's amazing. I think that uh, I had an episode recently with Monique Barron, the owner of the Melting Pot. Mm-hmm. We were talking about Burning Man fashion. Yeah. And I had a realization while we were having the conversation, because I always think of Reno absorbing the culture from the things outside of us. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, so Reno has adopted Burning Man fashion and mm-hmm. Burning Man art and those kind of things. But while I was talking to Monique, for a long time, the Melting Pot was the only place in Reno where you could get a Burning Man ticket. Right. So you had all of these people coming in, getting their ticket, and then that was the only store there, and I guess Junkie across the street a little bit later, where people could get their Burning Man fashions. And it got me thinking that, oh, it might be partially the other way around, too, that people are coming to Reno, and we're not absorbing their culture and, and art. We are creating that and putting that out. You know. So I wonder your thoughts on... Is Reno being shaped by the outside art world from people coming here? Uh, And how much of it is our existing artistic attitudes and style that people come here and and adopt from us? Mm -hmm. Well, we're really open to um, having others come and play with us. But we're super creative here, too. And um, you and I right now are in the Adi district um, as we're doing this podcast. And this, the Adi district is home to the generator makerspace. It actually was created as a project in order to provide a home for the generator. And as I watch the artists who work from there, there are a lot of people who are native to Reno that are artists there creating Burning Man art. And they've been creating for a long time. It's kind of fun that the things that they just naturally want to create are now the things that are lauded at Burning Man. And then you have the influx of others, people not only coming in from the Bay Area or around our region, but there are international artists who come through every year for Burning Man, except the last two that have not been Burning Man. International artists have flown into our area here and have finished off productions that they're doing, art productions, before they take them out to the playa. 
And so every time that happens, there are other artists, local artists who go, oh, cool, look at that. Well, so you're doing that. So would you want to incorporate this? And they go, cool, yes, I want to do that too. And so you get this this just wonderful commingling of ideas and thoughts and art that then is greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah. Uh, like you mentioned, so we're here in the in the Audi district, mm-hmm. in the, the same building as the generator that are right next door. And this is another example of kind of creating a space where it used to be more rundown, less desirable, yeah. and yeah. this intention of finding a location that's fairly central and creating something that will bring community mm-hmm. together there. So can you talk a little bit about the Audi district too sure. and kind of what the intentions are here? Yeah, yeah. So um, again, um, our our partner Doug Wheelie is at the bottom of the pile on this. Um, I got him a ticket to go to Burning Man, got him a camp, sent him out. He came back. Um, he had met the generator. He had toured the generator a couple of times. So as he gets back, he sees in the paper that the generator is losing its lease. And he says, well, this can't be. I just saw all of the stuff that came from the generator out mm-hmm. on the playa. This is horrible. We talked with um, Jerry Snyder, the chair of the board of the generator. And Jerry said, yeah, you know, it's just simple. We're a poor, starving nonprofit. We can't pay a lot of money. And the, the going rate now to rent in warehouses is far beyond what we can afford. And so we just can't do it. And so Doug went away and thought about this, and he's done shopping centers before. He says he's reformed from that, but he's done it. <laughs> and so he said, this is just like every every grocery store deal that I've ever done. The grocery store generates traffic. They pay relatively little, and they know that I need them more than they need me. And so we get them in, and then we build around them. And so we looked around to see what was available, found the biggest empty big box store available in the Truckee Meadows, which was this 210,000 square foot Lowe's, and bought it and put the generator in. And then we're starting to build maker economy around it. And it's all kinds of maker. It's, you know, physical maker in the sense of like the generator, but it's food maker and tech maker and um, intellectual property maker and just all of that playing together. And then we're also adding workforce housing to that as well. And as you mentioned, this is an area that um, needed a little help. Mm -hmm. And we're excited to be doing what we're doing here in conjunction with our neighbors. We're helping our neighbors to kind of lift up their circumstances a little bit as well. Across the street from us is the city of Reno's Paradise Park, which has seen better days. And it's a beautiful park, and it needs a little bit of love, too. And so we're all working to make that happen. Yeah, and the city's been doing work on that park in general. I, I don't know the details, but I feel like I've seen there's like new playground equipment, mm-hmm. or there, there's improvements being made to that yeah. park, too, right? Yeah. One of the things that often comes up when there's a lot of new people moving into an area, when there are these kind of projects in neighborhoods that have been neglected for a long time, mm-hmm is conversations about working with the local community. Yeah. Often the conversation is about gentrification and mm-hmm. kind of pushing people out of a neighborhood. So what have your thoughts been about these projects, both Audi and Reno Public Market, as far as making sure that you're keeping that top of mind, that you're yeah. that you're that you're factoring that into the way that you're building and the the things that you're doing? Yeah, well, um, in both places, both RPM and here at Audi, um, we're creating jobs 
jobs that locals can really get. One of the cool things about the food hall at RPM is that there are a couple of restaurateurs who lost their restaurants during COVID and would like to get back into feeding people. But the financial barrier to opening another restaurant is pretty high. Hmm. And the financial barrier to getting into a food hall stall is pretty low. Hmm. And so it allows that to happen for those who who've had food trucks and they want to get into brick and mortar. Again, you know, it's pretty expensive if you were going to just open a restaurant. But if you come into a food stall, it's a real gradual, you know, it's attainable. It's mm-hmm. something that folks can do. So they're feeding themselves and feeding the rest of the community. The opportunity to have little shops around both there and here at Adi grows. It it gives an opportunity for small businesses to be able to come in and, again, at a lower financial barrier and to then employ people in the neighborhood that don't have to you know drive or hop on public transportation for an hour at a time, that they're just here. We're starting to get folks around us, too. The Notables bought the building on the other side of us, on Orvada over there. And so for anyone who doesn't know, they do music therapy and have for a couple of decades here in, in the Truckee Meadows. Wonderful organization. They also have um, a band that is made up of folks with disabilities. And these musicians are just top-notch rock out. They're going to be um, on our stage at RPM. We're stealing from everywhere. <laughs> but just really, really a fun um, fun community engagement. There's High Desert Montessori School, that a charter Montessori across the street from us. And the generator has been working with them for quite some time. They do like tool petting zoos for the kids, and they work together in teams, um, teaching the kids how to work as a team, but then also how to safely use tools to to make something that actually is going to be useful in the world. And just that opportunity to um, have these kids in an area that Maybe they would not be exposed to that normally, and but they get that exposure in in a real safe and friendly environment. You know, it just it floats all boats. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, you mentioned the food trucks, and I think that's a big part of what is going to be the food at the public market, right? Uh-huh. So a lot of these are former food trucks that are moving into the market stall. Mm-hmm. I'm very interested in food trucks just because I lived in Portland for a while, yeah. and Portland was like food truck central when mm-hmm. I lived there. Was you couldn't go two blocks without seeing like a food truck pod of you know maybe it's like three or four trucks. There was entire city blocks like right downtown. I think food trucks are such an interesting way for people to be able to introduce different ethnic cuisine to be able yeah. to experiment to you know uh, again like lower risk to or not lower risk but I guess lower uh, barriers to mm-hmm. entry. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious your thoughts about kind of food truck culture in general, mm-hmm. both broadly, but then also here in Reno. So Food Truck Friday, I know Steve Schroeder is yeah. also very involved in mm-hmm. this project. He's a general manager, yeah. Oh, gotcha. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. so yeah, can you talk a little bit about just food trucks in general and then yeah. food truck culture in Reno and kind of how that's uh, adapting into the RPM? Yeah. Well, actually, by having Adi, I learned more about food truck culture um, in general and some of the barriers there. Food trucks need a depot, you know, a restaurant to work out of or a commercial kitchen or someplace that they can do their prep. And um, as we have 
been looking at tenants for the the Adi district as a whole, we've had a number of people ask about commissary kitchens. You know, are you going to open one here? And, you know, we're, uh, I, I, I say this laughingly, but it's true. We're, we're just landlords. We don't know how to do that. <laughs> and for sure, you know, if somebody wanted to open a commissary kitchen and wanted to organize that, we're, we're all ears for that. But we've learned that there's a real dearth of opportunity for that in our area. There are a lot of people who are hungry for that. And I think we would probably have more food trucks circling around if there were more places that food truck operators could use as depots and if we had commissary kitchens. And so, you know, for anybody out there thinking about that, you know, this is a great business opportunity. Yeah, just plant, we, plant that bug. Yeah, we don't know how to do that. So we're not going to be your, your competition. <laughs> we just would, would love to see that happen. But uh, there are um, folks, I've talked to people who have um, been in, in, in food trucks for a while now, and they talk to me about the limitations of that. And especially now that um, fuel has become more expensive, food has become more expensive, and it's not like Mickey Rooney, oh, let's, you know, put on a show here. There's a lot that goes into that, and it's not, it's not so simple. Mm-hmm. And um, with our hot summers, it's it's hot inside the truck. You're cooking, and you've got additional ambient heat outside. Mm-hmm. And then, um, thank goodness, the heat warms you up in the winter. But again, you've got snow around you. So being surrounded by the elements and then hoping that your diners come and sit out in the elements, mm-hmm. that's, um, that's another barrier. Oh, yeah. And it's true that um, there are other communities that have addressed this more broadly, what you've seen in Portland. And I was recently in Portland and saw the same thing, that even even as they're coming back out of COVID and out of um, Black Lives Matter and all of that, there's still food trucks are everywhere. Mm-hmm. But the city of Portland has some more provision, more um, more support there for food trucks than we have here. And I love that as a culture. What I what I see a lot of now is that a restaurant then may have a food truck additionally, mm-hmm. especially with what one might call minority cuisines, that um, they have that back-end support. And for somebody just starting up a food truck and saying, oh, I think this would be cool to do, they're discovering, hmm, there's a lot to this. <laughs> right. Um, what was the, uh, the relationship with you and Steve? Like, how did you get connected on working on this project? Or like, how did the food truck part turn into the RPM part? So, um, just as I was brought in for arts and culture, because the developers didn't themselves know arts and culture here, the same thing with Steve that, um, he came in in 2019 as an individual to just kind of, as a consultant, help to find a nice mix of people, help to find. And because of his Food Truck Friday, he knows um, who who performs well, who pays their bills, who, you know, and who is flaky. Mm-hmm. And so he was able to help weed out pretty quickly those that were not going to be good performers and weed in those that were going to be good performers. And so help create um, a really strong and diverse sense of vendors there for the project. Awesome. What uh what are the, some of the challenges that you've run into? So this has, you know, been a, a big project. There's mm-hmm. a lot of construction, there's a lot of moving parts, I'm sure. So what's it been like 
the the process so far? Well, anytime you do adaptive reuse, where you've got an existing building, (laughs) you got all kinds of surprises. One is this giant rock that we had to dig up in order to be able to put in the footings for a, a part of the project we wanted. It was days working on that. It was like pulling out a Volkswagen bug (laughs) out of the ground. Huge. But um, we had, of course, we were doing this through COVID. Thank goodness we did not stop working um, as a whole through COVID, but we did have a couple of instances where we had enough construction workers with COVID that we had to shut down for a week. We have not been extraordinarily impacted by supply chain, but that uh, there's been some impact for sure. And pricing on materials, oh my God. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think probably everybody knows about the lumber jump where it went up to four times what it normally had been. And and any of us, you know, walking into Home Depot, getting a a piece of plywood that used to cost $25 and now it's $100, it's -hmm. like, what? (laughs) And so all of us who have had projects out building in the community, everybody's been impacted by that because the food hall is a little bit different because we've not had one of those before. We've been working with the City of Reno Business Licensing and with the Washoe County Health Department helping them to understand really what we're doing. The circumstance with the stage, you know, it's not the ticketed event stage, um, it's a people stage. And so there wasn't really a classification for that in business licensing. Mm -hmm. So we're working on that. And for the health department too, they're coming in looking and they're used to coming into a restaurant. Right. And, you know, and doing the inspection there and going, oh, you need this, oh, you need that. And then coming back to reinspect and then certifying. And we've got 18 little restaurants, but they are not totally self-contained. Mm. They, have, they have parts and pieces that are in other parts of the project. The cold storage and the dry storage is in a different place than where they physically are. And so it's been a little challenging. And mm-hmm. so we're all learning. We're oh, working yeah. on that. That's great. Um, you mentioned kind of the relationship with the city, with the county, those kind mm-hmm. of things. Generally speaking, not just about the the permitting and stuff, but how have you found, and not just around this project, but over your entire career in Reno, how have you found the relationships between businesses, developers, uh, restaurants, and and the city, the organization, the governmental part? A lot of collaboration that has to come, yeah. especially from big projects yeah. like this. Can you just talk a little bit about the city and how it how it yeah. interfaces with the projects that you work on? Yeah. Well, so I'm I'm new to learning the staff of City of Sparks, and we've been doing that over the year in a piece that we have owned, Adi. But I've worked with the staff at City of Reno for you know decades now, being on the different commissions, and I was on the Redevelopment Advisory Board back in the day when we had that before it was sunsetted. I just am blown away by the the quality of staff that the city of Reno has. We ha- we are so lucky that we have people who genuinely care about our community and they go the extra mile for folks. I just think that's really neat because not, and not every city has that. You know, in talking to my partners who primarily have done work in California, we are so easy here <laughs> in comparison to California. Oh my God, the stories that they tell me and projects that just, you know, it's like a decade or more just in prep before they can even start to break ground because of all of the, all of the hoops and, and, you know, fire jumps that you have to go through to, to get a project entitled there. And for us here, 
again, my developer, Doug, walks into um, planning at the city of Reno and says, well, I, you know, I have this. What do you need me to do? And they go, oh, that looks good. And he <laughs> says, well, but, you know, what else? No, you're good. <laughs> He's going, no, wait, wait, <laughs> is this a trick? <laughs> no, well, I mean, that's I think that, like, the the hurdle of just getting started is something that I think we find sometimes frustrating, especially around mm-hmm. housing. That's also the, a big part of the conversation is we need more housing. And to be able to expedite these things and actually yeah. get buildings sooner rather than later, that gets people in houses sooner. For businesses, yeah. it gets the doors open sooner. So I definitely appreciate this kind of streamlined approach. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also not just Reno. I think it's a Nevada thing. I think we have like libertarian Wild West like uh, <laughs> kind of attitude. Yeah. I think we're a little allergic to the bureaucracy. So that probably helps us, you know, move things along a little bit quicker. Yeah, yeah. I want to give you a chance to talk about theater stuff because like you said, you're on the board of the... Uh, the Pi- president of the, the Pioneer, Pioneer yeah. board, um, at least for now. And you've had a long history kind of with the theater. You said that was something you were always interested in. So can yeah. you talk a little bit about your experience in Reno with local theater and with the Pioneer and sure, kind of, um, sure. what that's been like? Yeah. Well, and Pioneer Center is our Broadway house. It's strictly a rental facility. We um, actually, this summer, we did our first kind of presentation production ourselves our uh, development and education director, Adam Cates, that we stole from Broadway because Broadway shut down. <laughs> we go, ah, we gotcha. <laughs> he's, a, he's a local boy made good, and we got him back. But he created Dog Days of Summer dance production and three nights of that out on the Pioneer Plaza, really utilizing our plaza out there. He worked hard to get local dance companies that don't usually perform en masse for folks. They may perform within their culture for cultural events, but um, it, unless you're part of that culture, you pretty much don't get to see them. Mm-hmm. So we got to see them. And that was really super to do that, to do it as a presentation that Pioneer actually put together itself and, and you know collected funding for, but also to be able to spotlight cultural performers in this area that otherwise the rest of the world doesn't get to see. So mm-hmm. we thought that was cool. Our Broadway um, has, we are so lucky here. It's so amazing. We have enlarged the season during the 21-22 season. It uh, grew substantially. We opened with Hamilton for two weeks. Mm-hmm. And, I saw it was and just, amazing. Yeah. I, did, uh, I had never done the season pass before, but my mom mm-hmm. has done the season pass for the mm-hmm. Broadway thing for a long time. And then this last season, I was like, you know what? This seems like super fun. I'm going to go for it. So a friend and I got the season tickets and Hamilton was amazing. And it's the thing that really appealed to me is normally I would not necessarily buy tickets for all of the Broadway right. shows because it's, you know, I, I have some interest in theater, but it's not something that I would go see every single show. Yeah. But this last season, I did the season ticket, and it was such a great experience of like, okay, cool. Well, I have these tickets because I did the season pass thing, and it was kind of a pre-planned, pre-set mm-hmm. event to go to, mm-hmm. and having the same night, I would see the same people. So I had the same night tickets as like several friends. So yep. every time that I go, even if I'm not going with them, it's like you run into the same friends in the lobby every, you know, once a month for yeah. six months. So it was like uh, really, really fun to have that opportunity too. Well, and I bet you saw Hades Town. Loved it. So good. <laughs> and this was our first year to do, uh, uh, have a Broadway performance during Art Town. We'd not ever done that before. And that was super cool to do that as well. 
One thing that I learned along the way, I had done some surveys outside on the the plaza as audience members are going in, and I was surprised to see how many people come from out of town to go to the Pioneer, and especially folks coming from the Bay Area or from Sacramento. And I always have this little puzzled look on my face. I'm going, why are you here? You know, you guys have Broadway where you are. Why do you, why are you making the trek over here? And so they tell me that it's less expensive for them to come. The tickets are a little bit less here than they are, you know, like at, um, in San Francisco, mm-hmm. but that they can come over and stay in a hotel right downtown. They can walk from there over to the theater. Mm -hmm. They don't have to worry about parking. They can then walk across the street or down the street to one of our um, restaurants that are close by and have before or after meals. They can stay over a couple of days and they can go hike or go, you know, up to the lake and go swimming or go any place that they want to go around. They can even gamble should they want (laughs) to hang out in the casinos. But they can make really a little mini vacation out of that, whereas if they are doing this in San Francisco, they, they buy their ticket there, they have to fight, they pay $50 to park, and they worry being out at night walking from the theater over to wherever they might have dinner, so they skip dinner, you know. And, the, and so this is just a, a way better experience for seeing Broadway for them. And I'm thrilled, you know, I say, God, we need to be marketing to them (laughs) more. (laughs) For all of those who already know, you know, we need to tell more people, come. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, I was going to also mention Reno Little Theater. We have Reno Little Theater, Bruca, Good Luck Macbeth, Rat Theater, you know, a bunch of strong theaters around. The university, of course, has both Proscenium Theater and Black Box Theater there. We've got um, a lot of offerings around us. RLT, though, um, Reno Little Theater, is celebrating their 88th season now. We in Reno, we have one of less than 50 theaters of that age in the entire U.S. Oh, wow. And they've been performing continually, no break even for World War II, since 1935. In 2012, they built a new building and opened it up to the public, and they've been going great guns ever since. It's uh, They're so remarkable. Their youth program is amazing. They, in their old building back on 7th and Sierra, they had a youth program there many years ago, and at one point in time, every single one of the, the newer theaters in town were created by people who were young students there in those classes. So we really grew our own, for sure. Excellent. Yeah, that was the question that I was going to ask is about the the local theater scene. Mm-hmm. I know the, the Pioneer gets a lot of the attention because of the Broadway shows, but yeah. I've only recently gone to a couple local productions at Good mm-hmm. Luck Macbeth, and it's really exciting to see the smaller local theaters having a lot of success. And you yeah. know, that, that Reno has the capacity for several small local theaters to be doing productions like this. Yeah, Uh, and they are so good. We have such talented people that are doing just, they create magic, truly. Bruca downtown, you know, they're in um, what used to be a commercial space, and they have adapted it amazingly well. And I love that we have these little theaters, you know, Mm -hmm. that are just really intimate. But you get really professional-level productions coming out of that. But opportunities for all of us in the community that that dare to be on stage, you know, <laughs> to step out and audition for a part and be part of it. 
Yeah. What's next for you? I know you're really busy with Reno Public Market, but you've had a long career of various things in Reno. Looking forward, do you have any like big ideas, big plans, things that you think will be priorities for you in the coming years? Well, I'm just starting to become the government relations chair for the for Nevada for the um, ICSC, which is the International Council of Shopping Centers. One of my goals for that is to bring that influence of arts and culture into the shopping center industry outside past what we're doing and just encourage people. There's, there's already a movement afoot to have more liveliness in a shopping center. And for instance, in our community in Sparks at Legends, there's been the addition of the casino there. Mm-hmm. That's a little unique thing to do, but it's not totally unique for the nation. There are other shopping center areas and other cities that, if they can, are adding gaming as well. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. But, you know, having, having that cultural component in a shopping area, in a place of commerce, I think is really important. And I think um, now as our, our country, our population um, feels a little more fractured than perhaps it has been in the past. I think that anything that we can do to bring people together in a natural flow, mm-hmm. you know, where it, you're not forcing them in like, like cattle into a pen, <laughs> but you're saying, come on over, you know, this is kind of cool. Come over and join us and see what you think of this. Yeah. Yeah. There's this kind of like push versus pull, I think, on these kind mm-hmm. of things where I do think people in such divided times, probably do have a hunger for a little bit more community and mm-hmm. and, and novelty and, and seeing different people and diversity. I think that we can, fe- even if we can't put the words to it, I think mm-hmm. we can all kind of feel that we're missing something in yeah. terms of community and making that a, a part of, you know, we're, we all have to shop, we all have to eat, we all have to go yep. into public spaces and kind of making that a natural transition from mm-hmm. like, okay, well, if we're going into public spaces, let's make them community spaces. Yeah. Right. Like there's, that's a, that's a win-win. Absolutely. Well, and my partners and I are looking at a couple of properties here that are um, historic properties that are prime for adaptive reuse and to make them again, you know, this, this cross-cultural make them sustainable cultural institutions. One of my partners has a past history in doing that in Monterey with the Cooper Malera Adobe. Doug Wheely um, went in partnership with the Historic Trust um, in Washington, D.C. that owned the property and allowed it to really fulfill its cultural destiny while making it sustainable commercially. And that's a real interesting balancing act. And that, that's thrilling to me to do that because from the standpoint of nonprofit arts and culture, my historical exposure to that has been, you know, you're looking for donations. If, if um, you can't pay for the organization with ticket sales, then you, you know, you've got to have the tin cup out. And mm-hmm. that's a bad that's a bad analogy, but it's, you know, it's what we all know, you know, you're out asking. And so to be able to, through commerce, that naturally flows with that institution to make it more sustainable, I think is just the cat's meow. This is exactly what we should be doing to help everybody, again, just be more sustainable, more solid, and not be so fragile in terms of the dependence on others as charity. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you have any insight into this, but do you know or do you have any hopes for what might happen to the Lear Theater? I live right near the Lear Theater, and it's I hate seeing the chain link fence around it. It's such a beautiful building. I know the city, I believe the city owns it now. Our mm-hmm. town did, and the city owns it now. Yeah. Uh, they painted it, so that's a start. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have? Do you know what the plans are or what they might be or what would you like to see happen with the uh, Lear? I have huge hopes for the Lear. I was part of the founding board that started the process of the Lear Theater, and I continue to hold high hopes for the capacity to be able to let that beautiful historic building, Paul Revere Williams, uh, architect. And if folks haven't seen at the Nevada Museum of Art right now, there's a great exhibit about Paul Revere Williams, not only the creation of that, um, what used to be First Church of Christ Scientist, but other buildings and homes in our area that he had influence over. And yeah, the, the Lear's time has come. <laughs> and not to be not to be demolished, but to be created mm-hmm. in in its full regalia as it should happen. Oh, I hope so. Yeah. Uh, what did we miss? What else is going on in Reno or what else do you want people to know about the RPM or your experience here? Well, I'd like to give a little shout out to Kevin O'Keefe and Brianna Dolan, who created the Reno Tahoe um, International Art Fair. Mm-hmm. And that was this past weekend. Yeah, and I, I had Brianna on the show and talked yeah, about it. Yeah. Yeah. And so many of our local artists were part of that, as well as artists from outside Reno. I know when I very first met Kevin and Brianna when they were first here in town, and they talked about wanting to do that. And, and I thought that was fantastic that they recognized what fantastic, incredible artists we have and wanted to do something to promote them in a bigger landscape. I would hear a couple of people here and there go, oh, you know, it's just another one of those, uh, it's going to be great, and then it doesn't happen. And I thought, uh, but you know what, it's up to all of us to help make that happen. It's not just them alone doing that. And I saw our community really come together, and it was a fantastic show, and it incorporated not only visual art, but performing arts and food and People had a great time. The artists that I've talked to who have been directly a part of that had booths there. Everybody was happy. They loved it. And they can't wait to do it again. Excellent. Um, where can people find out more about the public market? I don't know if we have like a, a firm opening date for it yet. Like I said, this episode will be out sometime mm-hmm. mid-October. Uh, so how can people stay in the loop, stay informed, find out about the grand opening, all that kind of stuff. Well, so we're on Instagram and we're also, we have a website, Reno Public Market, and there's, um, and we're on Facebook as well. And so if you just keep watching out for that, we'll push it to you. And sometimes you have to go looking. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Nettie, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was really great conversation. Talk about, again, I initially was like, oh, we'll talk about the public market. Mm-hmm. But then when we met, I was like, okay, Nettie knows way more and has so much more to say about what's happening in Reno more broadly. So I'm glad we got to talk about the market because I think it's a very exciting project. Um, but also that we got to talk about arts and culture in Reno yeah. and kind of how it's changed. Reno's such a fascinating city. And one of my favorite things doing the show is talking to people who have been here for a long time mm-hmm. and been really involved in how Reno has grown and yeah. changed. Um because I, I grew up here, but then I was gone from 2001 to 2017. So there's this giant chunk of Reno's reimagining and redevelopment and changing that I missed. But there are a lot of people who were here making all of those things happen. So one of the, the real joys of this podcast is learning more about how Reno came to be 
the city that I mm-hmm. really love now. So I really appreciate you taking the time to well, come thank on the show. you. Well, and we love seeing your visions too, because you knew it. You went away and saw other things and came back, and you bring those fresh eyes as well. So there's a place for all of us in this for sure. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Renoites, and special thanks to my guest Nettie Oliverio for coming on the show to tell me all about the Reno Public Market opening soon. Keep an eye on their Instagram. I'll put a link to that in the show notes for updates on when it will be opening. I'm very much looking forward to it. Lots of great food options, which is always very welcome here in the biggest little city. If you enjoyed this episode or any other episodes, do me a favor and spread the word. Let people know about the show. Word of mouth means everything to a podcast like this. I post on social media, and one of the best things that someone can do to show their support for free is just share the social media post. Share the post. Leave a little comment that says, hey, this episode is really cool. I enjoyed it. You should check it out. Put a link in there. That introduces people to our show and makes a huge difference. So if you like the show, spread the word. Let people know. That helps us continue to exist and grow. Of course, the other way to support the show is through Patreon. That's patreon.com slash renoids. And special thanks to a handful of my patrons who really have gone above and beyond in supporting this show. Vicky Musney from DJ Trivia, Abby Whitaker from the Abbey Agency, Sam Olson from the Olson Group Real Estate, and Mike Van Houten from Downtown Makeover, all fantastic community members who are doing a lot of important things in town, and I'm so grateful for their support on this project. It could not exist without my patrons, so thank you, thank you, thank you, and if you would like to join the ranks, again, patreon.com slash renoites. And that's all I've got for you this week. See you next time. <laughs>